Mexico, Mexico. And welcome to the Two Salties Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto. Just before coming on the air, Kevin, I was feeling like a little hungry and I wanted a quick little snack. So I went into my fridge and I grabbed a Baby Bell cheese and I, I ate it. And then halfway through, I realized, oh, this is a Saputo product. What am I doing? I'm from Toronto. I'm not supposed to support Joey. You can't get away from it. It's, if it's cheese and if it's in Canada, I think there's a 99%. It went through Joey's hands first. All right. Well, I do like the baby bells. It, it, is, it is good cheese. Um, all righty, uh, Kevin, we're going to talk about CCL. We got Nick Sabetti from Goal on to break down the uh, impacts C- CCL chances, uh, talk a little bit about the season to come, maybe touch a little bit on the, uh, what we talked about at the end of last week with the controversy, I guess, that uh, no impact players were on the Canadian U-17 player, despite the fact that that uh, the team does lead uh, the USSS, USSDA League, which is a mouthful. Why did they rename that thing? And, it, it, uh, sounds well, like, it sounds like the cheese uh, organization that follows the food more than a soccer league. The United States Soccer Development Academy. That is what it is. But at any rate, and we're not in the United States, so uh, I don't know why we're, we're in that league. Toronto isn't, but uh, the other two teams are. We'll leave that well enough alone for now. Um, we're going to talk tomorrow, actually. We're, we have uh, Tim Holt, the president of USL, is going to be on the show. So we will have a special show that will come out tomorrow. This is our weekly show. Uh, we're going to talk today, though, to focus back on today about the CBA, uh, Argos to BMO, uh, <laughs> Carl Robinson's desire for the uh, Whitecaps to score more goals. Maybe we'll talk about the Whitecaps. New Jersey with their fake mountains on their uh, on their uh, their chest now or something. I don't know. It's a jersey. I'm not a fashion guy. I'm not on the red carpet, but we'll talk about it anyway. And we'll wrap up with a little bit of talk about the national team. But before we do all that, Kevin, how are things over your way? I think the buzz has finally gained Montreal. Uh, people are starting to be excited. Uh, Montreal Ultras are in Mexico right now with supporters, about 30 of them getting ready for that Pachuca game last night. And they had a weekend of soccer to remember. Seeing the Cruz Azul Chivas Derby, seeing the Pumas game, seeing the Tigres. I wish I was in Mexico, Dwayne. We all wish we were in Mexico and not just to watch soccer. But uh, we, we talk about the weather too much on this podcast. It's minus 28 or something in case you're curious. Those folks listening in the southern United States, we hate you. Um, <laughs> but we move on. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Bring Nick on. Talk Merci. impact. Okay, la prochaine. Excellent, merci. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'm in love with Rio Coke. I'm in love with Rio Coke. We got it now, it's over. I'm in love with Rio Coke. I'm in love with Rio Coke. I'm in love with Rio Coke. And welcome back to the Two Salties Podcast. Nick Sabetti from Gold joins us now to talk about the Montreal Impact's offseason and the game that's happening in, when's it, two days from now? Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Wow. The season starts. It might be the only game we get to see in a while if the CBA doesn't get figured out, but uh, we digress. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining us. Hey, so thanks for having me. Uh, let's start there. Uh, 
what are your expectations heading into to this, this two-game tie? Well, it's difficult. To, it's a difficult one to predict. Well, obviously, they're. I think the impact going into this game are, are huge underdogs. Uh, we know very well that the Mexican league is is a is a good step above the MLS in terms of in terms of budget, in terms of money they're able to spend on players and and the quality, the overall quality of the teams. And I think Pachuca, you know, they've been a team that's been struggling, but are still one of the better teams in the league. So it's going to be very difficult for the impact, and it's a difficult one to predict. I say that because you know the impact are going to be a very uh, are going to is going to feel a very different team than the ones, the one that we saw last year because they signed 11 players so over the off season. So in that sense, it's a difficult one to bring. It's difficult. I mean, they they did play a few friendly games, but it's still um, it's hard to know what to you know. Most friendly games don't really mean all that much. So um, yeah, in that sense, it's uh, you know I know the impact are going to feel a four-two-three-one. Uh, they have some injuries to contend with, but it's difficult to say. Know how they're going to approach this. I would think that they're going to be um, very defensive and try and keep things tight as long as possible. But other than that, it's, uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a really tough game for them. That's kind of the the main expectation right now. Coming off of the comments by Joe Saputo, uh, I guess a week and a half ago now about mm. uh, the city not properly supporting uh, the club, whatever that means. Um, how important do you think it is, though, for the impact to at least be competitive in these two games uh, to give the home fans a show coming off of the of the disappointing season last year? Oh, for sure. I think it's an amazing opportunity because if they can, if they can, yeah. So I think the tickets. I think there hasn't been, you know, Spoon said there wasn't any buzz about this team, and that's true. Uh, I think after last season, um, it was a terrible season in Montreal. Sporting landscape. If you're not the Canadians, you need to be winning, or you're not supported. And I think that's essentially what's happened at the Impact, where they last year was an awful season. The year before was a, a better season, was a pretty good season, uh, and they were and, and they were selling out last year. Um, you know, they were averaging about maybe thirteen thousand, fourteen thousand. So, and the off season, they did sign a lot of players, but. They didn't necessarily sign any kind of big name star that can really, where you know, obviously Trevinko is a big star, and people were waiting for him at the airport. But there wasn't that kind of impact signing um, that the that the fans were expecting after such a difficult, after such a bad season. Uh, they did sign Lionel Simon, so that even though he's not necessarily a huge name, he's he looks like a. I mean, I haven't seen too much of him, but he seems like a very high-profile player, someone that can help the back line. But still, uh, they've changed the team a lot, but it hasn't been sufficient to kind of create a real buzz. So if they can kind of get, if they can get a result, I mean, if they can somehow get a result in Mexico and 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 even and at least. Um, at least put them in a position where the second game in Montreal uh, means something, and or that, that they can there's still something to play for. They can they can go for it, or you, you know they can they have a there's a chance that they can get through, and maybe that can kind of create some buzz. Obviously, if they can um, you know get a draw or get a win somehow in Mexico, that would obviously be I think that would be that would be that would create a a lot of buzz going in the second game, and maybe that could be kind of kickstart their season a bit and get people um, create kind of new interest again. But uh, 
going to be difficult. Obviously, yeah, I think these two games are essential for creating interest. Obviously, if they just go into Pachuca tomorrow and, and just lose 3-4-0, and then um, the second game probably won't be about 15,000, 20,000, maybe, and then it's just kind of back to... Uh, back to the sort of disinterest that we saw last year. So, no, these games are essential. On the pitch, there's a lot of new players, like you were saying, that are going to play their first game, competitive game, from Montreal tomorrow night, the Simon, Sumare, Rio Coker, Donadel. And a lot of those players, international players, have experience on hostile territories, especially Nacho Piatti in those conditions. How do you expect Nacho Piatti to play tomorrow night against Pachuca? Do you think the flair and uh, the experience he does have in those type of environment are going to help the impact... Uh, Maybe pull a miracle in Pachuca. Yeah, certainly Piatti is a player that the impact will be counting on. If they're going to get a result, if they're going to get a result, but if they're going to get something out of this scoreable, uh, if they're going to get through this round, I think Piatti will be uh, Piatti will be fundamental for that. I mean, he's obviously their best player. Uh, he has so much experience in these environments, like you said. And uh, he's also someone that, you know, Pachuca, I think, usually play about a four, like a 4-4-2, four, four, and their center midfielders are usually very aggressive in the pressing, so there could be some nice space for Piatti to play in between in between the lines. Um, so that could be maybe an area that they can exploit. But, yeah, I, I would say if they're going to get something out of this, uh, Piatti's going to be... <laughs> has to be on his game. The problem is he's coming back from a, from an operation. That I think it's a I forget what now, but uh, he um, it's not clear what kind of fitness he's going to be in, what kind of uh, whether he'll be able to play. I remember when I, the first week in training, you know, Copas was saying that he might not be able to start the first game. It seems like he'll start, but it's on it's not it's not clear whether he'll even be able to play for 90 minutes or so. That, You worry about the sharpness of the players, so that's kind of a concern. A couple of other injuries heading into this season this week. You have Romero, who's traveling back to Montreal, is going to miss the week. And you have Camaro injured and Oyongo suspended and still in Africa. Uh, what do you expect <laughs> from defense, and what do you think about Oyongo's situation? Uh, well, I would say the defense would probably be Toy at left back, uh, um, Samare. Simon and um, and Cabrera, uh, who's a center back, he picked, they picked him up on loan from uh, Boca Juniors on loan. Mm -hmm. um, so I would expect that to be the back four, which is an entirely new back four, which hasn't, um, which again, you know, they haven't had those. I'm not sure that those four players, uh, no, they haven't had a chance to play with each other in an actual game. So, so you know, you do worry about um, you know the chemistry, the understanding. And they're obviously going to have a lot of defending to do against Pachuca, so that's going to be difficult. In terms of uh, in terms of Iongo, it's kind of an unfortunate situation. It, it's kind of it's a bit strange because um, he was a player that uh, everyone kind of knew that uh, he was a player that wanted to go to Europe um, and didn't necessarily want to be in MLS anymore, and so. Um, I'm not sure the impact really did their due diligence in this case. They should have probably um, at least maybe uh, inquired with the player beforehand to speak to him about where, you know, prior to the trade, 
seems like that didn't happen. They just kind of went away, went on with the trade. So, in a sense, now it's difficult. Um, the Impact are trying to kind of remain strong on the case. They're trying to, um, you know, they're trying to be kind of aggressive with it. But you know, if the guy doesn't want to come to the, if he doesn't want to play for the Impact, there's in a certain sense. Um, they're better off trying to at least move him, um, you know, rather than kind of keep him. I mean, it's difficult to keep a player that doesn't want to be here. Uh, so um, it's a, it's an unfortunate situation for the Impact because um, they don't really have a left fullback otherwise. I mean, they have Toya, they have Tissot, who I think is probably a better at left midfield, but um, that was a weakness for them. In the last couple of years, they haven't really had a lot of fullback. And Leongo is an interesting player. He's player potential. So if they don't have him, that's that's a big blow for them, for sure, going into the season. It's just another player that they got to go and get now. Moving away from the CCL for a moment to focus the attention on the league, um, mm-hmm. with the amount of additions that they've had, do you think it's realistic that uh, that Montreal can can come together and improve to the level that they're that they can realistically challenge for a playoff spot? Now, six six teams mm-hmm. in, two expansion teams yeah. in there, but is that a realistic expectation? It's difficult to say. I think it's realistic, but it's it's just it's such a funny it's a funny league in a sense. It's difficult to know really. I mean, you would think that this would be the ideal season to make. Obviously, sport now there's six teams instead of five making the playoffs, and you have two expansion teams uh, in, in the East. But it's yeah, but Orlando and New York City look pretty good. Um, so, you know, and that, a lot of teams have gotten better. I would say it's. Uh, I think it, I think they can. I think it's they they have the. I think they potentially could make. I don't I don't see them as necessarily like a top in the top three, but I, I, I see them perhaps maybe, maybe making a challenge for, you know, four or five or six potentially. Maybe at best they make it in a third, fourth spots. They don't no, they don't have a bad starting eleven. I mean a lot of it depends on um you know how Simon turns out, how Simon Simare if they can really uh if Simon can settle into the league and really and they really solidify the back line, I think that will help a lot. The midfield concerns me. Um, not that Rio Coker and Donadal aren't bad players, but you just worry over the course of a long season how they're going to be able to hold out if you know in terms of injuries and whatnot. So it, it's certainly a much better team than it was last year. And you also have to remember that they have Piatti from the beginning, and I thought Piatti was tremendous when he came over. I I, I think he's probably one of the top attacking players in this league. He's someone that creates, he scores. So having him from the beginning is, is pretty huge. Although they didn't get a striker, I mean they were looking for a striker in the off season. I think if they if they had been able to, if they had managed to get a designated player, a designated striker in the off season, I think that probably would have given them a. I think would have not guaranteed, but I would say made them a serious, really serious playoff playoff team. But now it's I don't know, it's difficult to say. It's just I would say you worry. My my concern is just really you know from. From a from a psychological standpoint, of if you know they go to Pachuca tomorrow and lose four zero, and then you know they start the season on the road and they have some injuries and and things kind of go south from the get go. Like like last year, you worry on this team, you know uh, how they'll be able to cope with that, uh, and especially because a lot of the players 
uh, aren't really don't really like to coach very much, so it doesn't help either. But you just worry if things don't go well in the beginning, um, if they'll be able to kind of dig themselves out of that. That would kind of be my concern. But it's difficult to say. It's the Eastern Conference is. I think it's very tight. I think it's very. I think I think the playoff race is going to be. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be down to the wire really, especially now with six spots. I think everyone's kind of in it. I don't see any team that's really that's really kind of. I don't think the I don't think the impact are, will be an amazing team, but I don't I don't see them. I, I see them in contention for a while at least. If we're looking at 2015, it's the first time the Montreal Impact got the same head coach as the year prior in Major League Soccer. Do you think that Klopas is going to be the guy at the end of the season to be the head coach of Montreal, or maybe the presence of Enzo Cacini is going to put pressure on him? Uh, yeah, the, the Enzo the Enzo Cacini hiring is interesting um, because I think it suggests that. Uh, well, for me, it seems like if if they do need to make a switch, that Cacini would be the guy that they would slot in. Obviously, he was a guy that they had discussions with back in 2012 um, to replace to replace Marsh in the end they went with Shalibon, but he's always been someone very close to the club, obviously considerable experience in Europe and he has played, he was assistant coach last year in DC, so well, I I think he they seem I think he's a guy that they would be very comfortable with putting in as head coach. So um and Klopas obviously yeah, I think he's walking on thin ice right now. Um I don't think they kept him on at the end of last season because they thought really he was great coach or like that, I think it was a matter of not wanting to fire a third coach in three years and how that would look. So, um, in that sense, uh, I don't, you know, I think this is Colbus last year. After this, he has an option for a third year, but it's going to take something really special. I think it's going to take, it's going to take a really good season for him to keep, to stay on for next year. I don't, I don't, for me, honestly, I don't, I don't see him staying on more than this year. But for sure, if things don't go well in these first ten games, um, ten games of the season. I, I see the impact pulling the trigger for sure, like without any hesitation. Uh, Nick, we'll we'll end the uh, end the interview with a look to the to the future a bit. Last week, we uh, we talked about the fact that there were no impact players on the Canadian U-17 roster, and, and, and perhaps that was an illustration of, of them not getting a proper look, proper chance. Uh, Sean Fleming admitted uh, to me in a press conference that he only saw them play twice. So uh, mm-hmm. just in terms of the state of the Impact Academy with uh, FC Montreal coming in this year as well, at the very top of, of that chain kind of, um, what are your thoughts on the thought of the academy now? Is it uh, fair to say that uh, perhaps the Canadian national team overlooks some players, some talent there? It's possible that they overlook some players. I, I, my impression is, well, the impact is the impact academy is is newer than the other ones. It's newer than the Toronto and Vancouver academies. I think are probably, um, I would say, behind them in a certain sense from a talent standpoint. Um, I don't think that they have necessarily the, the you know, the, the talent is in this. Even the players that we've seen come up. You know, up from from the academy to the first team, I don't think that they necessarily ready for MLS yet. Whereas maybe the ones that we're seeing coming up through Vancouver right now, and even in Toronto, are probably more MLS ready than, than the Impact players. So I think they're behind. I'm not sure if that if uh, on the U17 level, if they're just being overlooked, or if maybe 
the players in Toronto, Vancouver, are a bit would be the, the the level is a little bit higher maybe, but uh, yeah, no, it's still something that's it's still um, the academy is still very new. It's still I think it's about four, three, four years old. Um, so there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. I, you know, it's they they just they just kind of um, extended the academy down to the, down to age age eight or age seven under seven seven under eight level. So just last year so you know it's still something that's uh kind of a, it's still a project that's still being kind of worked out and and figured out in a way so i don't i can't really speak about the i mean the quality of use of the u17 level but i'm my, my impression would be that the toronto and Vancouver academies are, are a bit hard step ahead i would say so it doesn't surprise me that we get more players from, from the other academies to be honest with you it just, just in a, is it your general impression that they're getting the best players, the best, the, the best Quebec players? Mm. So sorry, say that again. I thought you cut out for a second. Uh, do you think it that uh, Montreal and the Impact Academy are getting the best players in Quebec right now? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, maybe they don't. I know that Toronto, they uh, Toronto T Academy, they really. Um, they have much. I guess they 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 do maybe more work in terms of going out and 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 kind of gathering all the players that are available and looking at all. But yeah, I would say maybe the impact could probably do a better job in terms of um, going around across the back and looking at players and and creating more doing more tryouts and doing more kind of outreach. But yeah, that's something that uh, they could probably do a better job at. You know, I, I don't know. That they're if they're missing on on players, but yeah, that that's certainly an area where they probably uh, should do probably a better job. I would say in terms of going out and 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 kind of and you know making putting their name out there in a sense and like creating tryouts and creating uh, camps and whatnot and looking at players. I think they probably do a better job at that. All right, Nick Sabetti from uh, from Gold joined us. Uh, thanks again, Nick, and uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. Hey, thank you. Take care, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Nick. And welcome back. Thanks again to Nick for joining us. Always good with his time. Uh, Kevin, what are your thoughts on the Impact's chances? Well, on the chances, my thoughts are there are not a lot of chances. I'm a little bit like Nick. I hope that there is a hope for Montreal when they come back to the Stade Olympic. I hope that Montreal keeps it two goals, maybe two goals, maximum three, but two in reach of two. If it's 2-1-3-1 Pachuca, one goal for Montreal away could be the difference. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but Montreal having a lot of new players, players that are different, Piatti, we're talking about players with experience in those style environments, like me and Nick were saying. I hope that Daza does have an effect on the team, but hopefully I still think Montreal is going to have to work really hard and have to be really lucky to get a result in Mexico. I think, the, is it fair to say that the fans that are going to go out uh, to watch this, the ones that uh, are going to be there regardless of the scoreline are sophisticated enough, understand enough about how much of a mismatch on paper this is to, to appreciate sort of a close but no cigar kind of result for, for Montreal if they're competitive? Do you think that that will have traction? 
Uh, yes, but for their safety, I hope that Montreal is competitive, but Pichuca is dominating. If you remember 2009 in Santos Laguna and Torreon, what happened to the supporters, and I have that from first-hand account, is uh, when Montreal was winning because they scored in Montreal two goals before, well, the atmosphere, and uh, they were not feeling really safe. They had uh, they were being harassed, th- things thrown at them. As soon as Santos Laguna scored, eventually the mood between the supporters group became more friendly, and at the end, they exchanged jersey. But at the beginning, it was iffy, and people were actually scared. So hopefully for their safety, it goes well before our morale and for uh, the sport competi- competition. I hope Montreal does well. All right, well... At least you get a game to watch soon, and you know you're going to get to watch a game, and we're not all sure of that, which is my sake. Yeah, you get to two for sure. That might be the last thing we see uh, that last game a week from now. But um, let's segue into the CBA talk. There was an article today in ESPN uh, FC, uh, which does outline this. So a lot of the information that I'm I'm relaying right now comes from from there. Uh, There's good reporting consistently on ESPN FC if you're looking for consistent uh, more close not daily but closer to daily it's not going to be reported like the NHL locker we don't have anyone you know reporters standing in the cold in New York streets like we did a couple of years ago but uh, but it's good there at any rate the, the the nuts and bolts of that story and what other stories are suggesting as well is that the players remain steadfast in their demand for uh, movement rights, and I keep calling it movement rights rather than free agency because that's what we're talking about here, the right to pick where you're, where you're going to work. I mean, you know, a lot of people will be cynical and they'll think of free agency in the sense of a, of a bigger sport in North America and uh, will we'll think it's about money. It's it's not really about money. It's about choice. Uh, and they they believe that they've earned that. And, uh, and the owners on the other side of it believe, well, they believe in the single entity model and they feel that that free agency will uh, will put that at risk, and they are saying that they're not budging on that. Uh, one of the suggestions that was being made is the league is essentially going to try and bribe its way uh, into this, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it, drastically uh, increase the salary cap, which I think most fans will like, um, and uh, they're going to increase the minimum salary level up to something closer to a living wage. Uh, right now, the minimum salary is in the thirty thousand range. Although most players make forty-four, uh, that is the true minimum salary. But you can make thirty-three-five if you're on the. I think it's thirty-three-five. If the last I looked, anyway, on the on the development roster. So they're going to uh, increase that significantly, is how it's said, and um, increase the salary cap in the hopes that's going to be the, the league's offer, in the hopes that uh, that they will bend on the free agency side of things. So are you still expecting a strike? Because if we're looking at the players' point of view, the players are staying their ground. They're saying that they will continue to put pressure and they're not going to quit until they have their freedom of movement. So do you expect a maybe a strike on March 4th in the morning? Well, that is a really difficult question to answer and because I'm no one is entirely convinced that the players have – when it, the push comes to shove and when you're looking at losing wages – and again, we've just got saying that you have guys that are in this union that make forty-four thousand dollars a year. How do you keep a condo? How do you uh, live in two cities? In some cases, uh, you know, I know that they, a lot of them will share apartments and things like that. And uh, but at the same time, you're not making a ton of money. It's like anyone, any worker that's facing a workout situation. It's a lot different uh, to be strong and strong-willed and to put the threats out there when you're uh, when you're. Not facing a paycheck gone, but uh, when the paycheck's off the table, it's it's hard to, to, to look past that. Absolutely, and it's going to be interesting because, again, 
Uh, when we're looking at Major League Soccer and the Players Union, in my opinion, you can always split that in two, if you, if you can say. The top money makers, the DPs and the millionaires in one part, and the rest of the players on the other side. And it's going to be interesting to see who buckles first, but uh, who gets more, whose voice is heard the loudest, maybe. It's funny there's an irony here, too, that a lot of people, again, make the mistake of thinking free agency benefits the top-level players. I, the top-level players effectively have free agency right now because they can go anywhere in the world. And they can also, as we've seen with Josie Altasar, or we've seen with, with other big-name players, Gerard coming in, they can essentially say, I'm only going to go there, and that's because they're so big. Uh, Jermaine Jones last year, a great example of that. Uh, they they tend to get what they want, so they really have free agency right now. What free agency is going to benefit are the middle class players the most, uh, guys that are effective MLS players that every team needs that are going to have more control, are finally going to have some control because they're not going to get signed by Europe, these guys, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the guys that they need to deal with. So this is the great irony of it because uh, – not irony, it's the great sort of dilemma that they face because ultimately I think the only way that a strike, a longer strike, a strike to dig in would work is if some of those older players, some of those wealthier players were able to supplement the strike fund in a greater level than the middle class guys to make sure that they're getting something close to what they would normally be getting so that they can just simply eat, right, and and, and survive. So uh, you would need the DPs, I think, pooling together their resources uh, to, to help their, their common man out there. And I don't know whether the will is out there to, for them to do that. I don't know, honestly. It might be. Uh, when you hear Michael Bradley talking strong about this, and he certainly is one of those guys that would have to put some more money into this situation, um, you know, you could have some hope if you're on the player side of this. But at the same time, would, would the foreign guys care that much? Like Javinko, do you think he really came over here to, to walk with a the picket sign you know no like he probably is this is probably catching him a bit off guard i'm sure his agent informed him a little bit of what's going on but it's kind of foreign to them in, a, in other ways too right mm-hmm. uh so uh it's an interesting uh, interesting situation all around and we'll have development coming in really soon because again it's been quiet for the last couple of weeks because there's a a non-spoken agreement between the two parties that they want to let those concacaf champions league game play out but Right after the final whistle on March 3rd, I'm expecting news to go really fast, Wayne. Yeah, they have the media in the room too, and uh, the, the report to, to finish the you know sort of the reporting aspect of this uh, suggested that the mediators only actually held one meeting where they've been in the same room at the same time. Rather, they're sort of going back and forth and negotiating with them and trying to wrap up some of the issues that aren't really contentious. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a common strategy in, in labor negotiations. To, if nothing's moving on the big issues, then you look down and you try and solve a small issue with the hope that that will get the ball rolling down the hill, right? Yeah. Uh, for instance, we've heard that uh, they've come to, a, to an agreement on moving expenses. It's absurd that they had to go to this. I mean, you're, t- you're taking pulling people off out of one city and putting them into another city and not giving them moving expenses. Some teams weren't because before it was reliant upon each individual club to pay the moving expenses. It was their own discretion. Uh, now, from the sound of it, it's going to be written in in the CBA that a player gets X amount automatically. It'll probably come from the league office. Um, we've heard that uh, that the appearance fees are are standardized now. So if a player is asked to go to you know whatever Target and sign jerseys uh, for a while, not in Canada, they won't be going to Target, but uh, <laughs> uh, they uh, they get a certain fee. So that's uh, those things have been solved. We've heard, but the bigger stuff again, it's just they're not moving. Now, look, it really comes down to one issue. 
and it's this free agency issue. So what I've wondered, and this, this is what I'm saying now is speculation, not uh, not reporting, uh, whether there's a hybrid model out there that would satisfy both parties. I speculated um, the following. Bear with me here a little bit. This is what I suggested. There is a way in my mind to create free agency within a single entity model. And the way it would work is that they're still only going to negotiate with one uh, bo- one body, and that being the league, to get their salary. So basically at the end of a contract, a player says, I want to opt for free agency. That means that they, they forfeit the right to negotiate a salary with, the, with any individual club and instead must negotiate the salary with MLS headquarters. Once that salary is negotiated and they come to, to whatever figure that they agree upon and they sign the MLS contract, that player is then free to see if anyone in MLS is interested to take them. So then they're, they're dealing with um, – you know they're dealing with the market, uh, the free market, in terms of their right to move, but they're not necessarily doing dealing with their free market in the state of trying to get their salary up, which is the other aspect of free agency. So that might be a hybrid model that I that I've suggested. You could work with that at any different level, any different kind of combination to try and get your own solution. But to me, that's some kind of hybrid thing that gives them movement choices, but not necessarily inflating the financial side of things up. That's that's to me where the solution might be found on the free agency side. Because that's the one thing Major League Soccer does not want it to happen. They don't want their clubs to together fight or bid on the same player and make that salary go up. They do not want an escalation on salary between players from the same league because uh, they're not trying to compete against each other. They're a single entity. So I think that idea, that uh, option could work, Dwayne, because in that aspect, it would only be uh, the player's salary doesn't matter. It's just who wants to bid for me, who's got enough allocation, or whatever the process is, who wants me? And I can go there. My salary doesn't matter. It's the league that signed it. And it's going to be with allocation. They'll fix something. We all know MLS work behind the scenes. But at least that way, they will have a certain freedom of movement. Yeah, and the resistance, I, I can anticipate what the resistance to that idea would be, to, to even that idea, even to that level of free agency, uh, would be this, uh, well, I call it the parody of parody. Uh, it's, you know, they, they, the league is obsessed, or some certain fans are obsessed with this idea of parody, which doesn't really exist in MLS. There are haves and have-nots anyway, right? Yep. The LA Galaxy did totally betray the idea that MLS is a league based on equal parody. Uh there already are inherent advantages. And in fact, I will argue that if you take the ability for a player to, to choose off the table uh, and, and force them into this kind of like background stuff where only the top guys have choices, uh, you're giving more advantage to the big clubs because then the stuff like location and, uh, and past winning plays a bigger role in their decisions if you're taking everything else off. So, you know, the parity of parity, like I said, is something that we need to drop. I also, you know, and this is an argument, more of a philosophical argument that we might have in five rings or something, but it's a, I, I just don't think, I, parody isn't good for a league. I don't know why people have got it in their mind that it is. It, it's mediocrity, and they need to allow these teams or clubs that want to uh, excel to excel. Yeah, the lowest common denominator is a synonym for parody in my book. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, on that note, Kevin, uh we're obviously going to talk a lot about this and uh, you know there, there are a lot of other issues that are going on around it but we'll drop it off for today and we'll come we'll take a quick break now we'll come back and uh, talk a bit about uh, the Toronto Argonauts and BMO Field <laughs> thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Kevin Laramie and Dwayne Rollins you can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kevin Laramie 
or both of them at two solitudes pod reach the guys on email two solitudes podcast at gmail.com but especially subscribe on stitcher radio now back to the show Argos <sighs> Go away <laughs> Yes yeah. uh, The Toronto Argonauts that came out There's been a lot of reporting there that uh, we're down to crunch time In the uh, the Argos to BMO uh, story Which has been ongoing for over a year now um, However, Bruce Arthur The Toronto Star reported last week uh, That basically they're at crunch time right now In the negotiations And there are negotiations that are ongoing uh, To get in there um, I wrote a sort of a call to arms piece on, on Canadian soccer news to, to TFC fans, to Canadian soccer fans as well, because it's a national stadium. It does have an interest, I think, to all Canadians, really. Um, to Just asking them to keep putting the pressure up there, because as much as it seems hopeless that they're going to come and they're going to wreck the stadium, which we all kind of feel, cause, but you got to keep trying right to the end. It, and I have heard, and others have reported, it was reported on Primetime Sports, actually. Uh, Bob McCowan, of all people, was talking about the soccer side of this on Friday. If you listen to that, I almost, almost fell down when I heard that, because uh, dear Bob is not generally seen as the biggest soccer supporter, but uh, but there was a, one of the few conversations I've heard that takes the soccer perspective into play and was suggesting that it was kind of absurd to move the Argos into BMO because of the soccer perspective it was on primetime sports this, uh, this past Friday. And, and in that conversation, and again, this is something that I've heard offhand as well, uh, it was suggested that there is significant resistance to it within the Rogers side of MLSE's board. Uh, for that very reason, that they feel that they're going to screw the soccer team over. And why would you do that? Because you're going to, you know, the other side of that is they feel that the Argos are hopeless anyway. Um, this isn't a CFL podcast, so I don't have to mince words here. They're maybe not wrong. Uh, there, is, <laughs> there is a chance. And Mr. McCowan, to go back to his conversation, is someone who understands the Argos financing because he was uh, – He's good friends with the former owners, the Argos, uh, the guys that screwed soccer over a few years ago. <laughs> so uh, he, he kind of knows what the books look like. And and he has said on that show many, many times that the Argos lose like $5 million a year instantly. Like there's just no way to make it a successful franchise. That's a feeling that many people have within business circles in the city of Toronto, whereas TFC, and this is something that a lot of people here don't understand, is very profitable and it's not – very profitable simply because of, of fans going to games at BMO. It's very profitable because of the MLS market, uh, because of the soccer marketing, because of a lot of different factors that make that property a hell of a lot more valuable uh, to MLSC than the, than the Argos ever could be. So this idea that they're going to put this family team in really, and it really doesn't hold a lot of water or logic Unless it's a political play, it's a favor because there's a lot of sentimentality around this issue, with, especially with local politicians who, who don't want to be seen as the guys that let this 100-year-old tradition go away. And look, I'm not a CFL podcast. I don't mind the CFL. I watch the odd games. Uh, I used to cover CIS football. I, I like Canadian football. But I, at this point, are you know it's not my battle, guys. And if they fail, they fail. Uh, the Alouettes went away for a few years and came back stronger than ever. And to me, that might be what the Argos need to do at this point. They need to pause, s- sit dormant for a couple of years, keep the name going, build a stadium of their own where they control revenues. That's the thing that no one talks about, too. They won't have any revenue sources at Beam Field. It's just kind of a – it's a band-aid that's going to keep them alive for a couple more years on life support. But if they're not controlling dates, they're not controlling revenue, then what the hell is gained for it for them? Forget about us for a second. I don't get it from a CFL perspective either. It's just desperation. 
they're trying to recreate what happened in Montreal, Dwayne. Montreal was, yes, they came back stronger, but when they came back in 96, they were playing at the Big O, and it, it was not what it is today when they decided to go full-time outdoors with a stadium that it doesn't look the same as the BMO, but the essence of it, the nature of it being an outdoor stadium, it's still the same, and it did help Montreal. So the, I guess that's a blueprint they have for what they're trying to do in Toronto, but uh, you don't need to... Uh, you don't rob one guy. I was going to say you don't rob Paul to give to whoever else. I don't remember the exact name of that expression, but you don't oh, need Peter to do to, that. To yeah. Give to Paul. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not a, no, Peter Paul, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Yeah. We'll just make it up. We'll make our own expressions up. That's more fun. But at any rate, um, we, you're absolutely right. That is their their thinking. That that's their 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 mantra. That you move them into a small intimate stadium. Uh, that suddenly the atmosphere grows better. It becomes more of a party, which is abs- absolutely what Molson Stadium is, right, on game yep. day. Although yep. I think it's calmed down a little bit in the yes, recent years. Um, but especially, what they, ironically, it calmed down when they, they went from twenty to 25,000, right? Exactly. Um, which meant that there wasn't, it wasn't as tight in there anymore. There's probably less booze being snuck in, I bet. Uh, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. That's, that's another good point. Yeah. And I, this is where I come down on this, this right here is that I don't think BMO would be that for them. It's 30,000 seats now. Like, it's the Argos can't fill 30,000 seats. You're going to have big gaps in there. It's going to look just like TFC when TFC is dead. Uh, you know, going to have pockets of support in there, but it's not going to, which is what they have at the dome right now. You have like the Argo notes, they call them, those guys that the play the instruments in the crowd and all that. It's kind of not quite the same as supporters in, in uh, MLS or a little less. They're a little more PG, but, uh, but you know, they're having a fun time. Uh, but the rest of the crowd is just kind of bored in there, and that's absolutely what it's going to look like in there. I have no faith in this idea that simply putting the Toronto Argos in a slightly smaller stadium outdoors in the freezing cold in a place where they didn't like it before, uh, like on the Lakeshore back when well, the Exhibition Stadium wasn't a very good yeah. stadium. But at the same time, it's it's almost exactly the same location. You have the same problems you had down there. It's it's windy in BMO Field. It is bloody cold down there if you've never been in there during the spring or the fall. It's hard to get um, there. Simple enough that it's hard to get there. Yeah, and I think the Sky Dome is more accessible. Yeah. And, the, and the 905ers, which are generally who Goes go to Argos Argos yeah. games, are, more, are going to drive in and they're going to find it more difficult to get to BMO. It is not a solution. There is no tailgating going to really be allowed around there. They tolerate it. A bit with TFC, but most of TFC crowd goes to the, you know, the Brazen Head or the Shoeless Joe's or the Joker or whatever the bars around there. They don't go and tailgate necessarily. RPB does it occasionally, but it's not really the culture around there, and the police aren't really that accommodating to it. So, you know, I don't think you're going to see massive amounts of barbecue and booze in the Lampard parking lot. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be this Nirvana that they they picture. They just look at what was basically a dumb lock in Montreal. Yeah. where they caught lightning in a bottle for a few years and people just sort of start, had fun. And the other part of it in Montreal, too, that I think a lot of people here are overlooking on the Argos side of this is that the sport itself is massively popular in, popular in Quebec. Yes. Cégep uh, is, is – they watch Cégep teams like religiously. They watch the Laval or, or, or Montreal this year. You gotta, the, I got to plug it. Montreal yeah. won the Vanier Cup this year. The Montreal Carabin. Uh, you know, like Sherbrooke has a team. Like they, it's really popular there. Like they get big crowds for their university games. Like we're talking twenty thousand for the Rouge Yeah, that's outrageous. Like that 
would never you get like two two hundred for a UT game, right? <laughs> like I'm not kidding. You get about two hundred for a UT game. I've said it before. I think the city of Toronto might be the um, the least football, American football, Canadian football market in North America. The lead, it, it, there's just not a huge appetite. It's not part of the culture. There are big NFL fans here for sure, but they're not in the majority, and they don't like CFL. They have the like they're the you know, we call them Euro snobs in the MLS side. They're the Canadian snobs. Yeah, they, they, there's, they have a snobbery for the NFL over, over the CFL as well. So it's – look, putting them down there might – would be a band-aid. It would keep them alive for a while. I understand the desperation that they're in the, the, the Argos. I do not relish being the guy that is banging the drum to basically put them in a near-extinction standpoint. But at this point in time, it's screw them. We, <laughs> the soccer fans just have to fight for what they, what they earn. Um, you know, and if you want to, the last thought on this, and I didn't intend, intend for this to necessarily be an Argos discussion more than a TFC discussion, but I think we beat the other side of this issue to death and it, it's, it's worthwhile. But the other side of this, as you hear it from the Argos side, is that they say that because the public funding went into BMO Field that, uh, that it's they fair to put um, – to force the Argos into to BMO. Well, I played the money or I looked at the money over the last five years of CFL stadium expenditure. It's outrageous. There was – I made a very conservative estimation on CSN of, I think, $700 million in public funds spent on CFL Stadium since 2007 is the date I used because I included the BC Place roof. And I actually cut – like I was very conservative. I cut the BC Place roof in half because the Whitecaps play there. I um, took the Lansdowne Live project and cut it in half because the Ottawa Fury play there. There, uh, I eliminated the uh, the kind of fishy public loan scheme that they have going on in Winnipeg and uh, and uh, Saskatchewan. Even though I have very little faith that those loans are going to be ever paid off, uh, I eliminated those from the equation too. And it was still it was just pure like here's money, go build yourself a toy, seven hundred million dollars. And uh, to me, this is where the Argo fans need to be focusing on is how the hell come there's $700 million being spent elsewhere and we can't get a damn penny and we have to beg soccer players, those pansy Europeans, we have to beg them for them to throw us scraps. That's essentially, you know, I'm invoking the voice of the, the stupider end of their spectrum um, to, to make a point there. Uh, it's just they need to build their own damn stadium. If they do that, they're going to be fine because they will control revenue. It doesn't matter how nice the party is in the crowd. If you're not controlling your revenue, it doesn't help. What's that saying? Build it and they will come. Yeah. All right. Let's move on this. Uh, I wanted to talk briefly about the Whitecaps because we haven't really – again, they're, they're playing Stan Pat this offseason. Um, I, I do, to be serious, and you know, people are aware of my occasional rants against the Whitecaps. But uh, you know, from a purely MLS building team strategy, staying st- – Building a core and building around it is absolutely the right move. Yep. Uh, whether they have the right core, you know, time will tell. Um, that's as far as I'll say now. I, I tend to think that they're not as good as people think they are, that they're a mid-table club, but time will tell. Um, one of their biggest weaknesses last year, of course, was with Camillo gone. They couldn't score goals. I think that's going to be what they have to do again. I found an interesting interview this week where Carl Robinson said that he thinks the, the Whitecaps are going to score 25 more total goals. Um, that's almost a, improving their goal scoring rate by almost a goal a game is ambitious to say the least. Uh, I'm not sure I see that. Uh, for the record, 25 more goals to the Whitecaps total would have put them second in the league last year. <laughs> uh, essentially, when Carl Robinson says a statement like that, he's expecting the Whitecaps to be championship contending level. 
Um, and if they score 25 more goals over the season, they will be championship level containing teams. I'm just not sure they're quite there yet, Kevin. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, 25 more goals for one team, that's a tough ask. You're asking more than one player contribution 100% of the season. It's like the record for goals in the league is 27 by one player. <laughs> and DeVaio, 22, 23 for Camillo a couple of years ago. So basically, you're just asking, you should have kept Camillo. That's the whole thing. Like, they should have just kept Camillo a year ago. Yeah, well, and they tried to do that cheap. They they should have just gave him a raise. They should have made him a DP. Um, and, and that absolutely would have been a perfectly legitimate DP signing, especially an internal uh, signing there uh, for them to do. But, uh, you know, they wanted to inf- they wanted to force him. This kind of speaks to the CBA stuff. They wanted to use the leverage that they had, that they felt they had, uh, to force him to, to play at a lower number, number. And that was a game of poker that they lost, and it really hurt them. Because, they, yeah, if you add Camillo's Camillo two years ago to Vancouver's lineup last year, uh, they're probably instead of playing you know in that four five game, uh, might have been in up three. I don't know if they're one two, but they might have been. They might have had a home advantage. They might have been able to get a home playoff date if you add his goals to the equation last year. So, look, they've added some players there. They've added some pieces on paper. Uh, they look to be maybe moderately better than last year. Uh, although I have questions about the backline a little bit, yes. uh, I have questions about the durability uh, and how my, how some of those um, bodies are going to hold up over a long season. And this would go for anyone; it doesn't matter who they are, it doesn't matter how young your team is, how old your team is. If you're going to play on that crap they play on all year, you're going to get worn down. Yeah, and they're uh, going to have a new one, a new crap to play on at the middle of the season. It's getting a new turf this year, so hopefully it maybe helps the players uh, health-wise to maybe stay a little bit in shape more. Yeah, well, you know, it is an advantage to them to a certain extent, but I, I always maintain that as much as that, you know, the ping pong concrete ball they play out there at home is, is an advantage to a certain level. It also is a disadvantage over the course of a, of a long season. So uh, we'll see. And all that said, you know, I appreciate the irony of, of a guy that's been talking about research all year and uh, not having any proof that that's the case. So I, I'll put that caveat out there. I could. <laughs> I could be talking out my ass. That is entirely possible, but that is my perspective, and it certainly is the perspective of a lot of players. And where it does hurt 100% is their ability to attract a big-name DP. It's why Vancouver hasn't ever signed one yet, They're, and why I think they go after the young South Americans so much is because the turf is less of an issue for them. Uh, getting a big European in there, like we're not talking Kenny Miller here, boys. You know, we're a big one. Uh, it's going to be a battle. Because they have to overcome two obstacles. They have to overcome the fa- – or three obstacles, really. They have to overcome the fact they're not in L.A. They have to overcome the fact they're not in the United States. And then they have to overcome the fact that they play on concrete. And if they can do that, then, you know, God willing, they might get a DP one day of, of a massive stature. And, uh, uh, but until that time, it ain't happening. Do you, really, um, you really think that the turf could be one of the reasons why they never really attracted uh, a known name before? Yeah, absolutely it is. And I mean, the, you know, the argument that they will counter with is that Seattle's got a name, but Seattle... It's got 66,000 people yeah, paying a lot of money. And you know what? The, it's Chris, it's Dempsey that came over, Bloomberg before that, but that was the guy looking for a paycheck, and that was before they kind of were aware of the, of the thing, um, of the surface uh, being that much of an issue, Like, and he didn't last that long. Yeah. Uh <laughs> When you're talking about American, I think that there's less resistance, and the idea of playing in front of sixty-six thousand in the what they would view as the the hotbed of, of soccer in the U.S. that are Portland. I'm not going to get into that battle, folks. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not taking sides there. Um, however, one of those two that that's that attracted to them. But a foreign player is going to look at that crowd in Seattle, which are ni- nice crowds, no doubt, and 
just kind of yawn because they've seen it a thousand different places, right? It's just unique in the United States, not unique in the world, and it doesn't have the same pull. So that's the type of player that they're going to have to go after, uh, even in Seattle, until they, they fix their problem of that turf. And they're talking about it. Um, unfortunately, you just don't hear Vancouver talking about it anymore, and it could be soured because of uh, the stupidity of the last time that they tried to build a stadium, and they were willing to pay for it with every penny of it with a private funds and got shot down by downtown NIMBYs, basically. So maybe they just don't want the fight anymore and are happy in BC place. But uh, that's going to be holding them back, I think. All right, Dwayne, just before we uh, we wrap this up, what's your prediction for Tuesday night the CONCACAF Champions League with Montreal and Pachuca? 3-0. For who? I, I, to the impact, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Look, I, 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 honestly... Um, and look, we, we've had this discussion before in various, like, for very many years on my old podcast, on this podcast, like, you know, no Canadian should feel obligated to have to cheer for the impact tomorrow. However, I don't think it's wrong if you're a Whitecaps or a TFC fan to have a soft spot for them tomorrow. Uh, however, you don't have to cheer for them if you follow me. I, my personal philosophy is I hope that they are competitive and they don't, um, that they do enough in that first leg to allow their fans to have a decent night out on the on the home leg without walking in down four goals or something. And I'm not entirely – I think it could go either way. I think that the, if the impact allow a couple goals in the first half, it could be ugly. Uh, but if they can stay stuck in and get out of there down 2-0 or something, uh, you know, I, they're still not going to win the tie. Mexico's going to score on the road. Yeah. Uh, but – I, I would literally put the chances of them winning the tie at like two percent. You know, it's sports stuff. So can you're happen. saying there's a chance? I'm just, exactly. That is the exact context that I am saying. There's a chance too. Yeah, no, it's a Mexican team. They're better. The Mexican league is better than MLS. That is just a simple reality that has been proven over and over again. And until MLS addresses a lot of its shortcomings in terms of how it attracts players and in terms of how rosters are built, that's not going to change. And. uh you know, that brings us back to the CBA again, which is what we're going to be talking about a lot here. But I'm just happy that I will be happy in front of my TV tomorrow at 10 o'clock uh, if I've recovered from the Barcelona City game, which uh, we don't talk about that at any rate. <laughs> but speaking about teams better than the other ones, uh, came as national team will play too friendly in the upcoming days. Yeah, Guatemala and Puerto Rico. The, you know what? Uh, these are on the road in CONCACAF in the places that have bedeviled them in the past. Uh, Puerto Rico... Uh, they played Puerto Rico in the last World Cup. Uh, so it was the last cycle or two cycles ago. Two, my cycles cycles, ago. two cycles ago. Yeah, they they were terrible to watch. It was an awful game at BMO Field in November. Yeah, it was two cycles ago. Uh, they uh, drew them nil nil at BMO. It was one of the worst performances I've seen. They just couldn't score. But at any rate, it, it's good to play that. And they're playing Puerto Rico essentially because they wanted to play an island of a similar size that they're going to have to play in those knockouts to get used to playing on bad pitches, probably. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good thing to do. It's strategic. It's forward thinking. It's something the CSA wouldn't have done in the past. So good for them there. Guatemala is a bang on friendly. They need to be playing Guatemala, El Salvador, those kind of teams as much as they can down there as often as they can in the lead up to the to the semifinal round, which they should by all. If they, I was talking to to uh, uh, Jim McLeod of Voyagers, uh, president uh, last night actually, or two nights ago now, and uh, he said that we agreed that to, if they can't get past the the Dominica, uh, we're we're done. We're just we're leaving. We're gonna start a crochet. Uh, podcast and just walk away because we might as well just give up at that point. <laughs> hey, maybe we should start a cricket podcast. 
yeah, why not? Why not? I don't fully understand cricket. It's like the only sport in the world that I don't really get, but um, I'm, I could probably pretend, so that'd be fine. Hey, another sport where we're not going to be in the World Cup, so trading four quarters for a dollar. I don't know. They've been in the 2020 World Cup. Uh, team Brampton does well. It is Team Brampton almost universally, so <laughs> at any rate. Um, Okay, Kevin. Uh, we're again a reminder that we do have uh, the USL president uh, Tim Holt on the show tomorrow. Uh, we're going to do an interview uh, with him, entirely focused on the USL's role in Canada, uh, what his feelings are on how the USL can help Canada, what their plans are, how they will work with an NASL, any potential uh, Canadian league stuff, uh, and then we'll do a, a little bit of a talk after that. Kevin and I, um, I have some Canadian league news that I'll I'll put into that podcast. It's it's not a big update. Don't get too excited, but I can give you a little bit of update on what's going on there. I can give you a little bit of update on the NASL side of things, um, on the Canadian CSA start of things, and uh, and we'll we'll just have a nice little chat tomorrow. So we do look forward to that. That will be coming out uh, tomorrow, being Tuesday. If you're listening to this after the fact, so you could already be out there. Uh, but we uh, do thank Tim Holt for giving us his time, and we hope to use it well. If you are listening to this today, Monday, um, or before the, it happens Tuesday, it's happening. To, we're taping at 11 a.m., so uh, 11 a.m. Eastern for those to, that want to know that. Uh, and if you're listening to it before that, uh, by all means, shoot us a question on on the Twitters uh, at Two Saltudes Pod, and uh, we'll we'll have a look at them and we'll try and get as many of those in as we can. Absolutely. And tomorrow night, if you're in Montreal, 10 p.m., uh, La Cage Spas and Ornal, that's where I'll be to watch the CONCACAF Champions League game. The studio is coming with me. A live halftime show and a post-game show for After Woodworks, live from the Casual Spas and Ornal. So, you're in the area, come say hi, and until tomorrow night, have a great soccer.